On this podcast, we cover everything from operational resilience to personal trauma. But something I've never covered before is the concept of having a trauma-informed crisis lead. Not familiar with the term? Fortunately, today's guest is... Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 63, as the Resilience Think Tank presents the Resilient Journey podcast. I'm your host, Mark Hoffman, and today I'm joined by trauma response specialist Trina Rielkoff. Trina explains what it means to be trauma informed and what we should be expecting from our crisis leaders and what leaders should be looking for in their people during a crisis. We'll talk about trauma triggers and how scripting your own response can be a helpful tool when navigating a crisis. Near the end, Trina tells a fascinating story of how she dealt with a bully who pointed a gun at her son's head. But first, we have an important message from Lisa. Hello, I'm Lisa Jones, co-founder and managing partner of the Resilience Think Tank. The Resilience Think Tank is a place to find expert analysis and effective solutions to enhance resilience. In 2023, we are launching a new platform to empower our community. Follow Resilience Think Tank on LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube as we gear up for exciting news. Also, check out ResilienceThinkTank.com to discover industry insights and professional guidance. Thank you for your support. Trina, welcome to the podcast. So happy to have you here. Let's start by having you give us a little bit of your background. Wow, a little bit. Could be here all day. (laughs) (laughs) Well, my background of um, my business is TLR Solutions for Conflict. Um, I use the title of Conflict Management and Resiliency Specialist. I like the word specialist because nobody in my mind is an expert. We're always continuously learning and growing. Mm. So specialist is more where my passion topic comes from. And recognizing just my background is in um, a variety of different areas, but has been a consistent in mental health, behavioral conflict resolution in um, five provinces across Canada. I've been following you for a a long time, and I just realized that we're relatively close together. I mean, we're practically neighbors, right? We are. We're like literally driving distance. Yeah, for sure. You use the background and some of that work that you've done. You talked about five different provinces across Canada, and I know that you shared with me privately too that you do uh, used to deal with some high risk families, and I think you use that background to incorporate that into your trauma informed workshops, and then you also use the phrase trauma informed management. Tell us exactly what you mean by that term. It's interesting, trauma informed. Yeah, and then it's it's a new term that's becoming more well known. And what it means to be trauma informed is just recognizing worldwide and as humans the impact of trauma and how trauma impacts our lives personally, but also professionally. It impacts our systems, it impacts our policies, it impacts our organizations. So becoming trauma informed and why it's kind of become to the forelight is when we look at COVID. COVID is a worldwide trauma. So understanding how trauma and how COVID has impacted us individually, personally, professionally, but also organizationally and operationally, it's fluid. But we have to recognize you can't separate traumas, whether they're big traumas or small traumas that can be accumulative. They impact us as humans. 
They impact our ability to work, how we associate with people. They impact how our policies, our culture are, is in the workplace. One of the things that we talk a lot about, obviously, on this podcast, it's called The Resilient Journey. And we talk about resilience, whether it's operational resilience or responding to a disruptive event. And we've had a number of guests on who've been talking about emotional trauma and, and things like that. Well, one of the angles that I have never taken until you just mentioned what you just said is, let's say from a business continuity or maybe a crisis management response to things, sometimes it's incumbent on the leader, the crisis management lead, for example, to be able to recognize, I guess, to be trauma-informed, right? To be able to recognize trauma in th their staff around them and to be able to say, look, we're going to tap you out, uh, yeah. similar to what a football or hockey player might experience in concussion protocol. Same yeah. thing, right? Yeah. Can you, re and yeah, as soon as you kind of said that, my, my son had a concussion, a hard hit when he was younger in the middle of the ice, not body checked anywhere. And he was circling around on his own on the other end while everybody was at the other end, but nobody recognized he was having a trauma response from a traumatic brain injury, right? Wow. That is trauma. Right. So it's how do people recognize a trauma response? And if you aren't aware of your own trauma responses, how in critical incidences, whether it's organizational, operational, personal, how do you recognize when, you know what, tapping somebody out does not mean you're not not competent. It means, you know what, you might be having a trauma response. So you aren't present. So an example, if, if, mm -hmm. if, if I may. I want you, you know, to. Yeah, because that's what was, uh, that's where I was going to go next with yeah. that. Concrete example that I like to use in my workshops is so when I lived up in Alberta, Northern Alberta, Cold Lake, it's a base. So they used to have what they had there called Maple Flag. Every year for five weeks, the top fighter pilots of the world came and practiced. So it was an air show every day. You could go down to the tarmac, like on the base, you're a couple hundred meters away from the F-18s and all the planes, the fighter jets, wow. and you can feel the heat. You are, you are vibrating like better than caffeine from their engines roaring as they're getting ready to take off. And so right. I took my kids there every morning to watch the planes take off. Right. Cause so when I hear a plane and if there's an air show here in Toronto or an air show somewhere, I recognize that sound of the F-18 and of the F-36, the different sounds. Right? right. So as soon as I hear that high energy fighter jet, I get goosebumps. My heart elevates. I get a big smile on my face. I'm excited. I got adrenaline because it's given me good memories. What if, though, the, the war in the Ukraine coming over right now? So there's the air show going on and we have some of, you know, immigrants are coming over. They're evading the war. Right. They're going to a job interview or they're going to a mediation or they're going, you know, to a business meeting. And as they're walking into the business meeting, all of a sudden they hear these jets, but mm. the sound of the jet for them isn't going to give them the goosebumps and the big smile on their face. That jet is going to put them back to escaping war. They're running for cover. They're grabbing their children, their knapsack of essentials and trying to find shelter so they don't die. So that sound, and it might not even be a visual, that sound can trigger a trauma response. And as humans, mm we don't know when that trauma response will happen. So car accidents, right? If you were in a bad car accident, say you went to a job interview or your new office is on the corner where you almost died. 
Wow. Right? Those memories. So in, in our roles that we do, leaders, executives, mediation, it doesn't matter what your role is. Sometimes if there's a conversation or a meeting going on and it triggers you to a past memory that wasn't so great of a conflict, adversity, or trauma, all of a sudden that trauma response is you're not present. You're not fully present in the meeting. You're having a trauma response. And sometimes to understand become trauma informed is not to, you know, some people think that's soft and, oh, you got to cater because you're becoming trauma informed. No, you're just creating a psychologically health and physically safe place in our workplaces now, which is now in Canada, Occupational Health and Safety Code Law. Oh, that's very interesting. So I have three unplanned questions coming out of what you just said. The first one is, as a leader, what am I looking for to say, wow, somebody is is having a trauma response, trauma-induced response to this situation? Yeah, well, as a leader, you want to understand what is trauma, right? So it's not mm -hmm. just like, okay, I'm going to go read about it. You can read about it, but the best way to get educated is, is to participate in a workshop or hold a workshop for everybody because when you're looking at a trauma response, it's like the topic of what is the topic that might trigger somebody? So if it's an organizational leader and say there was a massive loss of income and the business stocks crashed, how did people respond? Are people potentially, you know, how much did they invest that they're personally losing out, not only the business, and then how does that impact their mental health? So becoming a leader trauma response is recognizing behaviors, mm. words, behaviors, actions, or you know, when they say if you're clued out, if somebody looks like they're spaced out, they might be having a trauma response, which is a disassociation. Or if you see somebody in high level meetings and the topic is a hot topic and there's a lot of high risk, volatility happening, unsurety, people start to shake. So if you see somebody's leg shaking or a hand shaking, that is their body. And they might not even be aware that they're right. shaking. Right. But their body is trying to contain a trauma response going on. All right. Now I'm going to go to the next step of that. I'm a leader. I've seen that. How do I respectfully tap someone out and say, I, I don't even know how to finish that sentence. So so help me with that. How, how do I respectfully deal with that and remove that person from the situation? And sometimes that's where, again, depending on the environmental context, the meetings going on or the, the debriefing or the high risk situation, it's, you know what, saying, you know what, maybe let's just have a meeting, you know, or let's have a bathroom break. Let's just take a break. And then you go and approach that person in a trauma informed, safe manner, because becoming trauma informed is incorporating the pillars and principles of creating a safe environment than to have a conversation to check in with somebody. So it's not necessarily approaching them from, hey, you know what, I, something's going on. I think you're having a trauma response, but you know what? Hmm. Let's have a bathroom break and say, hey, you know what? Hey, Peter, I just, can I just check in with you for something? I want to ask you a question, right? And just go in and say, you know what? I'm noticing this. I just want to check in with you. Are you okay? Right? It seems like this might have agitated you, or it seems like you weren't, you weren't present during the meeting because that is a common one is somebody is somewhere else and you're not present. So you know, is there something more going on? And that's, again, where it might not be necessarily triggered from the conversation of what's going on. But how do you know, again, look at COVID, how do you know that morning, they didn't get a phone call that one of their loved ones or 
child's in the hospital with COVID on a ventilator. Yeah. That's where their mind is, right? Because we're human. Right. So, you know, with your son's example of the the concussion, uh, the decision needed to be taken out of his hands because you know how athletes are. Yeah. We're all fine. No, I'm good. I can go. I Keep me in. Don't take me out. That's That's the approach. But sometimes, like in that case, the leader needs to say, no, for your own good, we're going to we're going to have you sit this yeah. one out. Is there a way to respectfully do that and say, listen, I, I can see you're really struggling with this particular circumstance. Maybe for this one, let's bring in your alternate. Let's bring in your backup. Well, I mean, what's the right thing here? Like, how, how do you do that? There's no right or wrong. It depends on, again, the environmental context. What is the setting? What are the professions? What are we looking at? But the best way to create that safe environment is to have the team trained on what it means to have trauma-informed management, what it means to be trauma-informed. And if you connect becoming trauma-informed into your policies, framework, management style, your organization, what you're doing is actually trying to create and build that psychological protection in the workplace. So if we break it down to here in Canada, we have the Canadian National Standards of Psychological Health and Safety that have 13 psychosocial factors. Those psychosocial factors are also psychosocial risk hazards that under occupational health and safety labor code law, all businesses need to do a job hazard analysis to assess the risk factors of what is psychological safety in your workplace now. So not just for slip and fall, but for psychological safety. Hmm. So when you look at Canada, we have it in our labor code in, in the federal government, it's Bill C-65. The U.S. just released their five-point framework of what is wellness and mental health in workplace, the Surgeon General. Um, Last year, ISO, Standards of Labor, worldwide framework of what is psychological health and safety in the workplace. World Health Organization, just October this year, announced the importance of mental health and well-being in the workplace. So how I like to break it down, because you can have policies procedures. But if people don't know what that look like and feel like, how is it actually actually implemented? And then how does it go through the different levels of hierarchy to actually create that safe place for everybody, no matter what your level in the organization is, or when you go home. So when you become trauma informed, and you implement a trauma informed management system into your policies, procedures, organization, you're creating psychological protection as one of the psychosocial factors in creating a psychologically health and safe workplace. Wow, this is interesting. Now, so the next piece is, let's say uh, you you used uh, the name Peter. So we we talked to Peter. He's like, yeah, I'm really struggling with this. Um, maybe it would be a good idea for my backup to come in and, and I'm going to step out of this. How do you respect Peter's privacy to the rest of the team who are now wondering, well, where did he go? How come he's yeah. not here? Uh, what explanation, if any, do you owe the rest of the team? Well, when you look at privacy and confidentiality of mental health, physical health, do they need to know the exact? Say, you know what? You had to address an emergency. And just let it go. Yeah. And it's because because privacy, it's nobody's business. Right. Right. And self-care because checking in and allowing somebody to tap, tap out with dignity to go address, to become back. That doesn't necessarily have to be days or weeks. That could be, you know what? He had to go address an emergency. Um, I'm going to check in with him to see if he can come back this afternoon or if he'll be back tomorrow, right? 
Becoming trauma-informed is just as important for yourself to understand your own triggers, because when you're trauma-informed and you understand how to recognize the behaviors, but you also know how to identify them for yourself, you also encompass and learn the skills and tools of how to manage a trauma response to allow somebody to come back to that stable state that they can, again, fully participate. So it doesn't have to be hours, days, weeks. It could be giving somebody the time and having that support of how to get grounded. And then there's tools of how to help somebody come back to that stable state and know they're okay to fully participate. Because when you're in that trauma response and you don't know when it's going to come, your memory, your executive functioning is no longer 100%. Your recall is not 100%. And we're all human. So there's no, no getting around it if you have a trauma response. You mentioned a couple of times COVID and the pandemic. What are you seeing? And I'm going somewhere with this. I'm I'm going to bring this back to the workplace. But what are you seeing with children's mental health coming out of the pandemic? Having been a prior child and family counselor and kind Mm -hmm. of where my passion of resiliency came about is that, again, as I'm a parent, right? You can tell your kids how to manage stuff. But what they really do is watch you and how you're managing. Mm. So the parents and if, and again, COVID is, I guess, let me just backtrack again and I'll give an example of myself, my own experience, and then how it relates to how with children. So here in Ontario, when we got locked down, I was calling it house arrest, right? Unless you went to the grocery store or you had to the doctors or you had to work, you were on house arrest. You, You didn't get to leave your house. So when it finally opened up, and I'm a mental health professional. I've got a background many years. Opened up. I'm excited to go to the gym. Pumped. I'm going. I'm, I've already booked it. So when the day came, and I remember sitting here in front of my computer and working, and I got to get to go in an hour. In my head, cognitively, I'm excited because I want to get out. I want to go to the gym. But my body was saying, no, don't go. I was getting uncomfortable stomach, right? I was getting nervousness, tightness in my chest. Wow. Because the environment has created that hypervigilance of you don't know when you're going to COVID. When I was talking with a a friend who's a police officer, COVID's like getting stalked. You don't know when it may hit you. You can do everything preventative, but you don't know when it's going to hit you. And again, it's escalating right now. So the hypervigilance is increasing. And when kids see the hypervigilance in their parents, they absorb it unless you create that environment to have that open conversation of how, how are you feeling? What does it look like for you? Are you nervous when you go to school? What has the school done to create that psychologically safe place for the kids to enter, right? And it's that open communication and being a parent, you're human and saying, yeah, I'm nervous too, or this scared me. Because right. kids, whether starting at five, four or five in kindergarten, preschool, or they're the 18, 19, 20 year old, the feelings are the same. We're human. COVID's created that hypervigilance, that fear. Like I had one friend, we're on a boat in the middle of the lake in Grand Bend, and we go to dock by the beach. And her one daughter, who was 15 years old, was fearful and getting anxiety feelings. Just because you have the feelings doesn't mean you have the diagnosis, right? We all mm-hmm. experience different symptoms of different mental health disorders. It's right. only a disorder if it starts negatively impairing your everyday living. Otherwise we all experience symptoms, but she got fearful because she thought we were parking the boat too close to other boats in the water. 
right? Yep. So it's it's that environment of having that conversation and asking the kids, what does it need? What do you need to feel safe at home, grocery store, going to school? What does safety look like, feel like for you? And what I like to break it down for like all humans, again, is having been a behavioral consultant before, we can all go to school, we can all sit in courses and learn skills. And it's like resiliency. If you don't know how to name the skill or the trait and how to pull it out behaviorally and use it in the context you need it, you still have a performance deficit. So when we looked at trauma-informed communication, trauma-informed management frameworks, organizations can have it, schools can have it in policy procedure, but if nobody knows what that looks like, feels like, and what that behavior is in that environment, we still have a performance contact deficit and nothing's going to change. So how is that affecting parents in the workplace then? I mean, are they carrying the extra burden of their children's anxiety to work with them and then it's just starting oh, yeah. to pile on? Yeah, for sure. Because you can't leave. Like I was I was writing just, I think this morning, our um, our work life and our home life it's not static, it's dynamic, and they intertwine. So I think even just this morning, I think I just followed up on a post on LinkedIn about how, you know, family, um, right now, holidays are coming up, right? Scripts, scripts, when you have a not healthy family dynamic and relationships and the expectations and pressures we all put on, do you have a script? So scripts are used to help cope. So when you're looking at parents, and you know, what they go into the workplace, what you're saying to yourself, have you had a script or did you develop a script for your child of how they could remind themselves that they're safe, what safety means and looks like for them when they go to school, if they don't feel safe, what can they say or write down to share with the teacher? They don't feel safe right now. And what is needed to then reaffirm they're safe. And those are through scripts, like writing down specifically, you know, I was in a major car accident. It changed my world, changed my life. But as I'm going through all my physiotherapy, three years in various physios, surgeries, nerves frozen, I had a script in my head of where I wanted to get. And when I was really down, I would repeat that script to myself. I'm not going to let this beat me. Right. And that was my motivational. That's fascinating because as I think about uh, certain areas, uh, school violence is very prevalent and we need You've probably seen some of the training videos that we see if we're teaching kindergarten kids of how to hide in the coat room and uh, yeah. you know how to deal with active shooter situations. Scripts there would be also very beneficial. I have a lived experience of my son having a gun pointed to his face in grade five. Come on. Yeah, it was in Saskatchewan and uh, he was with his friend. I had just surgery on my leg, so I couldn't go anywhere and I was not mobile. He comes home. And um, it's after school and we're five houses down from the school, the yard, everything. He comes home. I'm like, oh, I always ask, how was school? Tell me something that made you happy, sad. Did you help somebody or did somebody help you? And those were the four things I'd always ask my kids. Well, I like that. Every day. And he goes, well, him and a group of friends were there and um, him and his friend, Johnny. He goes, yeah, these three older boys came up to us and they tried to steal Johnny's bike and they pointed a gun at us. I'm like, what? he goes, yeah, they pointed a gun to our face. And I'm like, and I start, you know, being a mom, losing it, going, oh my God, what did you do? He goes, I came home, mom. I'm like, okay. Then my mom craziness kind of stopped. I'm like, okay, let's get to the bottom of this. 
Right. And who do you know? Do you know any of the boys? Do any of your friends know any of the boys? We found out which was one of the boys names and phone number. So I called the father and I said, your son and two other of his friends were involved in this. I suggest you tell the other parents because I'm going to call the police and we're going to file a complaint. Mm-hmm. And remember at the time, I've, I've also worked in schools and my, my goal with bullying, with any workplace violence, school violence, anything, it's not punishment because punishment doesn't learn. It's discipline and turn it into a learning experience. So we take a statement and uh, the police officer comes back and he says he's met all the other parents and the boys and they're all in big trouble. One's already scheduled for counseling. One's already this, like they're good kids. And he goes, so it should be good now. And I'm like, no, it's not, not good at all. I go, I want to meet each with one of these boys. Their parents can be present. And I want to have a one-on-one discussion with them to see why they did it and what they did. And I want it done at the police station. So we arranged and I interviewed each of the boys the cop pulled me out twice because he said it was going way too hard on the boys, but so, so yeah, so I got their story, each of their roles, right? So when it comes to bullying or workplace violence, everybody's got a different role of story. And if you don't speak directly to that person, you won't know their role or story. So I got all their stories and then the cops like, okay. And I'm like, no, I'm not done yet. So what I did, because I wanted to turn it into a learning experience, I didn't want my son to be fearful of going to his own school because these boys were in grade eight. And I didn't want these boys to do this to somebody else. But I also wanted to change how they looked and viewed at their activities. So what I did is I went and I talked to the principal and I talked to the police officer and I said, what I want to happen is these three boys, they either have to create a poem, a script or tell the story in front of their school go to every class from grade two to grade eight, every class individually. And they're going to tell the story of what they did to my son and his friend, why they did it, what they've learned from it and what they're going to do differently. And they're not going to be a bully anymore, but they're going to stand up for other kids who are being bullied. And that's what we did to change it around into a learning experience. Now, Oh, we could have done the whole episode just on this. This is fascinating. So did that actually happen? Because I wasn't, I wasn't, I was not going to not charge them unless that did happen. I see. So you had some leverage there. What kind of pushback maybe did you get from their parents, or were they supportive? Nobody. Uh, the parents were there for every classroom. The police officer was there, showing the difference of the his gun, which looked exactly like the airsoft gun they used. Right. So if it was, you know, with the increased school violence, if that call came in and somebody from the community saw that, you would have had SWAT there. And somebody might've been hurt because it's assumed it's a real gun. That is fascinating. That is so interesting to me. Can you give me an idea of what kind of script you would encourage, uh, you know, a child or, you know, even an adult to say when they're going through um, uh, a traumatic situation? Well, what I would do is um, I would, I have an assessment tool. So I like what I would do is Stop and reflect back on a prior experience, conflict, adversity, trauma, no matter, even as an adult, it could be back from your childhood. How did you get through it? Name those traits of how you got through it. So for me in the car accident that changed my life, perseverance is one trait. So when something is negative in my life, conflict, trauma, right? I persevere and I go into okay, this has happened. What do I need to get done to resolve it? That I am happy. I am safe. 
I am okay with the outcome. And there's no right or wrong outcome, but it's taking the outcomes that we've gone through, learning from them and growing, because that's what does make us stronger. We just need to know how to name the resilient traits and the environmental context as we've used them, mm-hmm. reapply them, and then add the growth to make it stronger, better, more accurate, more fluid, more easy to retrieve because you want to back pocket it, right? Yeah, something sticky, something that uh, that matters to, to you. The, the individual. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Hey, look, let me get you out of here on this because that time has just flown by. I don't know where that went. But if people want to learn more either about you or about trauma-informed approach, how can they reach you? Um, I'm on LinkedIn. My name is Trina Relkoff. Or um, my website or company name is TLR Solutions for Conflict. And that's a four, right? Isn't it? Yeah, it's a four. It's all one word. TLR Solutions for Conflict. Yeah, Solutions for Conflict is all one word. Yes. Thanks for doing this. Really informative. And I appreciate you spending some time with me. Thank you for the opportunity. And this was great. I want to thank Trina Rilkoff for being my guest on today's episode. Really interesting to learn about being trauma-informed. And as always, a huge thanks to the Resilience Think Tank for sponsoring the Resilient Journey podcast. As Lisa said at the top of the show, we have some exciting things in store for 2023. Next week, I have a very exciting uh, episode as I interview Susie Ansari, and we talk about her presentation at BCI World 2022 in London. So join us, won't you, as we continue our resilient journey. 